And one of the things that, yeah, one of the, th I, I guess I can start talking about it while I get this going. One of the things that uh, is a common refrain from, from folks, and I, I don't think it's completely unfounded. I try not to be dismissive of it, but uh, folks will ask, you know, for something, you know, more relevant to their daily life. Yeah, uh, which I referred to in the sermon, right? That, you know, God's word does apply to, to your life. Part of it is um, lore, or we might say history, right? So it is appropriate that you learn your history. Right? I mean, whether fourth grade for me in Indiana, that was the year you learned Indiana, you know, state history, right? I, is it the same here for Wisconsin? Fourth grade? Okay. Um, you know, and that's appropriate, that you learn the history, you learn who you are. Um, you remember there was a lot of controversy over, uh, what did they call it, the 1619 Project, which was said that that was the thing that taught that we've been systematically racist from the beginning. Our whole history as a country is one of racism. So tries to basically tell our, the history of our country from the perspective of racism and saying that that's, you know, specifically uh, African slaves, that that's really the defining history of our country. I'm not confident that that's really the history. It, it is one of the histories, maybe. But uh, 1776 probably is more important in the broad scheme of things um, because 1776 actually put in place the, uh, the founding documents that allowed for the, uh, for the ending of child slavery in our country. <laughs> right? So it's like, okay, you can talk about slavery being systematic. That's fine. But why don't you actually talk also about how the founding fathers, they, I mean, it was contentious in the, in the Continental Congress between the slave owners and the non-slave owners. And it was compromised. It was compromised from the beginning. They knew they couldn't do it then, but they, they put in place, um, you know, the rights and privileges that could later then be used for like civil rights movement. So it's good. Okay, that's Hebrews 1. We're going to be in Hebrews 12. Um, anyway, so lore is part of what we learn. We also learn our song, our, you know, the, the music that we sing, right? That's the Psalms. Um, but we also have um, commands or laws, right? So that we heard a lot about that today in the sermon. Um, but then there's the whole other, there's a whole other discipline of, of wisdom, right? So think of Proverbs in particular. That's probably the obvious one. Wisdom of Solomon's, Song of Solomon. Welcome. Yep. Grab a sheet. Uh, grab some coffee too, yeah. So there's that whole category of wisdom literature. There's actually another genre that is probably neglected as well, as much as wisdom is, and that's apocalyptic writings. People like Revelation, but they don't like to read the Old Testament ones, like Ezekiel, the end of Daniel, etc. Um, well, and the reason why those are great is that we, I mean, I, I'm a fan of apocalyptic literature and movies, uh, but we, no, we actually kind of lose sight of this that, um, that we're, we're living in the apocalypse. And, uh, you know, at times we, I think we lose sight of it and we forget that actually we're living in the end of the ages. Yeah, it's, take, it's been 2,000 years so far. It might be 2,000 more years or more. But, um, but if you don't have that orientation, then you, you're, you're prone to actually thinking more triumphantly, like we can improve, we can, the species can improve, our country can prosper, all these kind of things. Yeah, ultimately, well, it might happen in the short term, but it ultimately, ultimately, it's always fire and destruction at the end, right? Yeah. So I'm not trying to temp. Well, I am trying to temper your optimism a little bit, which the scriptures do. 
And it's intentional because it wants you to put your faith or your hope in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, not in the success of any particular nation or people, which God might grant, but that, that's not actually, it doesn't correspond at all to your eternal reward. All right. So we were in Hebrews 12. Uh, before we do that, we should begin with some prayer. Everything's working here. Everything's working there. Okay. I think we're ready to go. Heavenly Father, you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, in a way that is gracious and merciful, kind, loving, and ultimately for our salvation. Um, we ask that you would comfort us uh, in your Son, Jesus, and especially in the way that he serves us now in the divine service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews 12, if I didn't say this last time, I said it on the sheet this week, is really the climax of the book. All right, so this is everything we've been working towards. It's all kind of reaching its, its uh, flourish, you know, like everybody's getting riled up. If you've ever been to a revival, everybody been to, no, no. You've watched them on TV, right? The guys, and they get, they're all, you know, the sweat's coming down their face, and they're, and they're doing the, oh, oh, I can't mimic it. I'm not very, sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, where they can't even catch a breath, so they have to, anyway. You, what? Oh, yeah, and they're yelling, yelling, yeah, yeah, and they're like, oh, wow. And the music's going in the background, swell. You got the, the ant organ with the tremolo going. All right, so that's, what's, that's where we are in the book. <laughs> um, but all the arguments that we've been talking about, about who is God, who is he for us, how is the Old Testament liturgical life of the church now um, subsumed? assumed into the liturgical life of the Christian congregation, right? All the ways that the things correspond, all the things that are new. Um, and today is really kind of the culmination of that. So I wanted to recap just a little bit. We're not going to do 3 through 17, but we need to do 1 and 2 again of chapter 12. So, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? Remember all the witnesses? We had a whole host of them. Lists and lists and lists of people. I'm not going to. We don't have to go over all of them. Abel was in there, right? There are all these unnamed people here that were, that were mighty in war, that were sawn in two, were stoned and mistreated, etc. Right? So, so since we are s surrounded by faith, not by sight, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, all right? And sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. So... Um, if the Olympics happen, which it's not really for sure, I think they still might just cancel them. Nobody saw that coming. First it's spectators and da da da. Yeah, they, they have a, there's a case demic over there, so whatever. Um, but anyway, this is the Olympic picture, if you remember right. So you're going to run a race with endurance. Well, if you're going to run a race with endurance, you don't want to have a rucksack on your back, right? You know? wearing some weights on your back, unless that's what you're doing. You're training, right, by wearing some weights so that when you don't have the weights, this is what they do in the military. Yeah, and our, our soldiers, I was listening to a, uh, somebody talking about Vietnam, right, and that the Viet Cong would be light, lightly armed. I mean, they would, they would just have their arms, and they didn't carry a lot with them. And so they were a lot more agile than our soldiers who would come just way down with all sorts of stuff, body armor and all this stuff. So they just couldn't move, right, and that made them... Then with the, what do you call it, ambush and guerrilla warfare, right? Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, it's the same thing with the race, right? If you're wearing all sorts of stuff, if you're letting stuff bog you down, it's going to hold up, hold up your speed. So, or like me, I had to get a new bike because I couldn't fix my old bike. I didn't want to. I didn't want to spend all that money. Uh, thank you, Biden. But um, the new bike is made out of carbon fiber instead of aluminum. I mean, aluminum was lightweight. Carbon fiber is very lightweight. You can pick it up with two fingers, the whole bike. You know? It's like incredible. Right? And so then the, weights, the bike's not holding you back. Right? It's just you are the only thing keeping you from moving, which is good. Um, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Who set it before us? Jesus did, right? The founder and perfecter of our faith, or synonymously, the race. The founder and perfecter of the race. Uh, remember when we talked about perfecter? What's another way you could translate that? Completer. Yeah, completer, fulfiller, right? Alpha and Omega, that's right. So here, it's Jesus started the race and he finished the race already. That's what he's saying. Got it? Yeah. Um, who for the joy that was set before him, and here's the race that he ran, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's the race, which means Christ sits at God's right hand, and what's the goal of every Christian? The faith that he gives, that we would sit with him right, in the heavenly places. Okay. So that's, that's real. I mean, that's really probably the climax. Then uh, we had some stuff that we talked about. I said it was last week. It was actually, was it three weeks ago? Oh my God. We took two weeks off, right? I was on vacation. And then last week was the fourth, which was wise. Cause I think we had 50 people in church maybe. And probably, actually we probably would have had the same Bible class attendance as usual, just different people, but that's okay. All right, so we have discipline, enduring. Dis we talked a lot about discipline and how people don't like it. Um, what? Discipline is good? Discipline equals freedom. We don't think about it that way, right? No, because we think, what is freedom? To do whatever you want, right? But that's actually according to the Bible and actually according to experience as well. That's being a slave, slave to your passions, slave to your heart, right? I did say that, yeah. Thanks for quoting me. Um, that's where it goes. That's where you go, after all. All right. Um, sometimes you just get people's attention that way. I don't do it too often. I did it my first year, straight out of seminary. I thought I'd be clever more often, and I ended up just defending people more often. So, so I keep the cleverness at a... Yeah, right. Well, right. No, it's true. No, but I don't, they don't even know what they're saying. I can, do, I can do whatever the hell I want. And you're like, yeah, that's exactly the problem with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. I wouldn't do that with God's name, for example. Yeah. Um, sorry, you got me distracted. Oh, discipline equals freedom, right. Uh, to discipline the flesh is to be set free from it. Right? So if your flesh, your desires, your passions, your goals, your emotions even, can, you can be a slave to your emotions. Right? But if, if, you, if they're disciplined under God's word, especially, um, it actually sets you free to be, what, reasonable, thoughtful, compassionate, kind people. Right? But if you're like prone to fits of anger, you might want to get that in check. Right? Bring that under control. Because right? it's not good for anybody. Although I did write an article for the Lutheran Witness. I think it'll make through doctrinal review. I know that's kind of scary for you as like my pastor's writing is not going to make it past doctrinal review. 
Um, doctrine review is kind of, yeah, anyway. It's like getting a committee of people to approve something. They're all like, well, you could have said it like this, and you could have said it like that. And anyway, I took the hardest question. It's a bunch of, it's a Q&A issue. And I took the hardest one. I, I thought, I was like, nobody's going to answer this one. So I did it just to see if I could do it. So the editor sent it on to Doctrine Review. So, but the editor is a personal friend of mine. So, so just saying. Uh, October, I think, it'll be the October issue. Is that what your question is? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, it's pastor Q&A, questions that you've always wanted to ask your pastor, and they took submissions. Yeah. So this one was, is it okay to be angry? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I actually said it is because Jesus did. Oops. But then think about today's gospel. That's a whole nother. Let's not go there. All right. Uh, yeah, discipline, because discipline equals freedom. No, it yields a, a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it, right? And the discipline that we're talking about here is the discipline of the Father, right? And it's all, again, connected analogously to the race, right? When you run a race, you discipline your body when you run, right? You don't just run flailing your arms and everything. You keep everything, you know, high and tight and loose and, you know, so aerodynamic and all that. High and tight. High and tight. It's an expression. You don't have to understand. All right. But same thing here, right? Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. You know, do some strength training here. Straight pass for your feet. You know, whatever's lame or be put out of joint, but heal it. You know, so before you do the race, get things straightened out. Um, but if we talked about, it's going to be, it's, it's actually possess or plural here. So we're talking about the whole congregation. So, so he's actually using the whole analogy he uses elsewhere in the other, and Paul uses, I should say, in the epistles. I think Paul wrote it, but whatever. Um, about, you know, as a congregation, you're one body with many members, right? And each member has its own function. So if you've got a drooping arm, it's going to hold back the whole race running, right? So be attentive to the drooping one and to the weak one, right? And, and Paul does that in many places, which is why uh, it sounds familiar. Of course, as we talked about this week at home, if this is Apollos writing the epistle, Apollos was trained by Aquila and Priscilla and was acquainted with Paul. So maybe he picked it up from Paul anyway. All right. And then we talked a lot about this Esau stuff, which is kind of hard. All right. So, um, but you can go back and watch or listen or read about that if you want. So let's try to get through this. Uh, I've got a lot on the sheet and we're not going to cover it all. So as usual, this is meant to guide you. You can go home and do some more reading, more study, and we'll see how it goes. But let's read something first. Uh, and that, by the way, that today, the sermon largely reflected a lot on what the preparing for this. So the two go together. Anyway, uh, who wants to read? For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet mm. and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. But they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in vessel gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, 
and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. All right, stop there. Okay. So, um, we've talked about this before, but there's been a lot of allusions to Moses in the book and to the law. And now we're talking about you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. So what mountain is he talking about? Sinai, right. Uh, it could be touched, but was it supposed to be touched? No, only by those whom God had invited upon the mountain, right? Moses, uh, later Aaron, and then the rest of the elders, 70 elders, right? But that, that's it. No animal or no person was to touch even the foot of the mountain or they would be killed, right? So he, but, it, but it is something that you could touch in theory, right? It's a mountain, right? Physical object. Um, but it, that it burned with fire. So what are we talking about with burning with fire with Sinai? Yeah, you're thinking the Ten Commandments. You're thinking the movie probably, right? Well, there was, there was lightning. <laughs> There was a, a fire on the mountain. Anybody listen to the Grateful Dead? So disappointed in you. They're, they actually have a song called Fire on the Mountain. You're not into that? You're not into that? You're not that religious? Is that what you said? Uh, oh, Elvis. Elvis does not have a song about, about touching. There's actually, a, this is a kind of a side note, but there, it's amazing how many references in popular music until pretty recently are highly scriptural. I mean, you have, you have references from Dylan, you have references, obviously Grateful Dead, I mentioned a couple of those, that Samson and Delilah, they have a song, you know, if I had my way, what? Pharaoh, let my people go. The, you had uh, Sam Cooke had the song about touching the hem of the garment. You know that one? You know Sam Cooke? You know the crooner guy, black guy? Anyway. Um, yeah, you'll find a lot once you start listening, if you know the stories. All right, so this is Fire on the Mountain, Grateful Dead song. Sorry, maybe I'll play it for you someday. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, right, so I'll give you some notes here about the blazing fire. This is God's presence. This is his holy presence. You see this fire all over the place. God makes his uh, presence known by way of fire, uh, fire on the mountain, right? The top of the, it looked like it was on fire, which could sound like a volcano, I suppose, but it's not. Um, and then, of course, you have the pillar of cloud, the cloud that the kavod Yahweh, the, the cloud of God, the glory of God is what it was called, then was blazing. It was a fire at, by night, right? And it guided the people, which is nice because it connects with David. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? And God guided his people um, by way of the, the light of the cloud. Um, but you also have... Uh, one that's probably not well known because I never remember hearing it in Sunday school, but was at uh, the Red Sea crossing where the light shone for Israel, but it put, put Egypt into darkness. Yeah. So you have that contrast of darkness and light. Um, light then, we said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I mean, light reveals. So God's glory, his light um, is his revelation. This comes out, of course, in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular, at the mountain of transfiguration, where Jesus himself shines with even, even greater glory than Moses, right? Yeah. Moses and Elijah are next to him, and Jesus' face is shining, his clothes are shining, right? So the, the mountain is burning with fire because God is present upon, upon the mountain. That's what's going on there. Um. And to blackness and dark, I switched to New King James, by the way, 
just to give us some, you know, keep things interesting. Uh, to the blackness and darkest, darkness and tempest. What are those? Right, so around the light is cloud, right, and dark. Because no one can see the face of God and live except for in the face of Jesus Christ. That's right. Okay, so... Um, so darkness, I mean, this is, this is the reality too. I don't know if you've experienced this. Um, somebody asked me this morning about, um, you know, what to say to a Jehovah's Witness. And, uh, what's interesting about that, of course, is that if you start speaking of Jesus to the Jehovah's Witness, they actually shut down. You know, they'll close up. They don't want to talk about who Jesus is or, or they deny it, what this Bible says about who he is, right? They don't want to listen to his words. So here he is speaking in his word, to give clarity, to give light, to reveal himself. And they sh- but they want to dwell in darkness rather than in the light, right? So they have to actually just run away from the words of Jesus because they expose their you know, false, false teaching, their idolatry, etc. So you always have light and darkness going together. And uh, it's always darkest before the dawn, I guess, is an expression. <laughs> um, but the way that well, we're going to get to it here. The sound of, of a trumpet, that's also an exodus, right? Did the mountain have the sound of a trumpet? Yeah, and then when Jesus comes again on the last day, we'll be with the sound of a trumpet too. Um, so this is the trumpet that announces the coming of a king or the beginning of church. <laughs> they didn't use church bells, they used trumpets. Uh, by trumpet, the word is shofar, it's the ram's horn. You know, like think... Uh, Jericho, all of that, right? Or Gideon too, I suppose, with the blowing of the ram's horn. So it's time to go to church. Or here's the king. Or what else did I write? Um, God himself is present. That's in uh, Joshua 6. Uh, Or calling soldiers into battle would be another expression too. So I gave you some scriptures for that if you want to see that. So when you have the blast of the horn, it means it's it's time to go. It's time to start. Or the king is here, or maybe all of the above. And we should get a ram's horn. Well, the bell works well because it carries well, but yeah, and that's a legit bell too. I mean, it's big. Have you seen it? What is it like? Twelve hundred pounds or something? Six hundred pounds? I don't know. It's big. The bell. Yeah, you never tried to lift it. You always want. I mean, there's pictures of it going up there, but it's like it was before cranes. Can you imagine all the pulleys and everything? Ow. Um, anyway, and then and the voice of words. All right, so this is the key. So there's fire. There's black blackness. There's uh, the tempest. Right. There's darkness, and there's the trumpets. All of that's terrifying, right? But God wants to be known. By his word, right? And ultimately, it's the word that matters. But even then, the word that he speaks is Sinai. What's the issue? When Moses comes down and tells them all the words that the Lord has given him to say, what do they say? Yeah, stop talking to us. Yeah, we can't bear this. Right? Even veil your face because we can't even look at your face because you have God's glory re- reflected in it. But these words, don't, don't speak to God again because we can't bear anymore. Now, think about it. I mean, he read to Israel, effectively, the first five books of the Bible. Right? So it's a little overwhelming, probably, 
I would think. And it's, there's a lot of instruction, not just history, right? Um, so it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. That's where the movie's a little bit, a little weak. Um, you know, he was up there 40 days. It was a lot to, lot to take in. This is an oral culture, by the way. We don't really understand this so much, but the idea that you could, somebody could say something to you and you could memorize it and actually remember it. <laughs> Today, it's like somebody says to you and it's like, right out the other ear, right? No, we don't memorize things like they did, but I, don't, I think we still can. We just choose not to. Because why do you need to when you can just... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the climax, really, of, of this theophany, and it, remember what a theophany is? Theo... Phanos? God's word? Theo... Nope. Oh. This is light. Right. God. But it could be reveal as well. Right? So a revelation of God. So this is God revealing himself at Sinai. Um, the culmination of that is the voice of words. But these words, they beg him uh, not to be spoken anymore. Why? Because they could not endure what was commanded. Take this in light to what the Pharisees and scribes were what thought. Right? They thought that they could keep God's word. Now, granted, it's a long time later, right? We're talking about... I'm sorry, I can't do the math here. How long from Sinai to Jesus? 1,200 years? 1,300 years? I mean, it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah. I mean, the, like the kingdoms were established in 700, 800, 900, somewhere in there. So I, th I think it's 400 years before that. It should be about 1300, 1200, somewhere in there, BC. All right. Somebody watching or listening is going to correct me. But a long time, you know, and over that time, you know, it's not the telephone game. It's just they simply just chose to ignore the way that their fathers responded to God's words spoken at Sinai, which was, this is terrifying, never say this again to us. We can't, we can't possibly bear this word. We can't do these things. And if you read Leviticus in particular, which is the instructions for, not only for the, um, for the tabernacle, but also for like civil life, you're like, there's no way they kept all these laws. There's no way they could. I mean, they try and they'd fail. And so what would they do? They go back to the tabernacle and say, I did it, you know, Oops, I did it again, to quote the song. Yeah, who did that song? Is that Britney Spears? I think so. Sorry, that's a 90s pop culture reference that nobody cares about. Um, including me. I don't even know the song. I just know the title. Right, remember, they could not endure what was commanded. The mountain that, that could be touched, but, and if, any, if so much any beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, which uh, New King James includes. There's some dispute as to whether or not um, that's present in the original text. But either way, so what is the uh, preacher teacher doing? He's saying that, you know, just like they were afraid to touch the mountain physically, and just like even a beast couldn't touch the mountain, even more so, the people were terrified, even of the words that came down from that mountain, right? Uh, and then, verse 21 is curious, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Or what did ESV say? Not the second half. I'm just, I'm just really afraid, right? I tremble with fear. Um, that's probably okay. That's from, uh, where did I write it down? Deuteronomy 9, 19, where he says he's afraid, but he doesn't say it at Sinai. So it's like, what? Uh, what happens? This happens in sermons. We've talked about this before. The preacher will just be like, oh, I know what, to, I, I remember. 
this is a great expression. And they'll say it and they'll say, you know, St. Paul said, and it turns out it was actually St. Peter. Or they can say, oh, you remember when Moses said, but he didn't say it at Sinai. Just gets a little confused. But Moses said it, but he didn't really say it at Sinai. Does that make sense? So he's throwing it out that even Moses was afraid. Well, Moses was afraid. I don't think we should, we have any problem with that. But the whole idea there is that what are we doing? We're setting up Sinai as like, this was the ultimate revelation of who God is to the people. And what was their response? Don't talk to us. This is terrifying. We're just going to die. Right? So, um, if, if, remember, this is written to the Hebrews, meaning to the Jews, who know this story, know it quite well. Right? And then, like I mentioned, with the Pharisees and scribes and with Jewish culture, they're like, they keep driving people back to Sinai. But where does God want to drive them? Sinai is supposed to drive them to faith in Christ. So what the, what the preacher teacher is doing here is he's saying, you didn't get Sinai right. You didn't even read Deuteronomy and Exodus. I mean, Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy. I mean, it's explicit. This is not where you, that was meant to, to it had a job. But it wasn't meant to save you. Right. And so, um, but remember, ooh, there's so many things happening. They're layered upon layered here. He's also going, he's teaching about the divine service. We've had that a couple of chapters back over the last couple of chapters. So he's talking about the divine service. And, he's, and what he, reason why he's pointing out Sinai is he's saying, going to divine service is not like going to Sinai. Although, in my experience, the people who don't come to church regularly, but who are still claim to be Christians, they think of going to church like going to Sinai. Like, if I, if I show up, I don't know what's going to happen. God might strike me down. You know, I've been away too long. You know, so they don't approach God as a God who's merciful and gracious and forgiving and who's been with them the whole time, even though they've not been with him, you know? Um, and so, I don't know about you, but I've talked about this before. When somebody comes, comes back, you know, I've been absent for a time, I don't usually, well, one, I don't usually notice. Sorry. I think there's different faces every week. It's hard to remember who's been here and who hasn't. Um, there are some people that I'm really, like, I've been praying for it specifically in my prayers. So if they showed up, I would notice, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way and say, hey, what, what happened? Why haven't you been here? Usually just. You would have been here for, like, say, many years. Then you probably would. Yeah, right. No, that's true. But either way, what I'm saying is the approach when somebody shows up again is you don't, you don't, you don't need to point it out to them because they already are feeling the guilt of that, right? You just, really, you want to forgive them and say, you know, good to see you, glad you're here, you know, how's it been? You know, this is the kind of thing. Just really just forgive them. You know, if they, well, if they say, I'm sorry, I haven't been here, then you can obviously you can just say, I forgive you, right? Um, yeah, but I mean, if they're here, then, then there's already, it's like the prodigal son, right? Think of the, the, how the father responded to the prodigal son. He's like, dude, you wasted all my money. That's the first thing he said to his son. <laughs> Did he ever say that to his son? Not in the story. He's like, welcome home. Let's go. Let's have a party. So, um, but that's how most people, I think, approach, at least if they've been gone. And maybe even some people who come regularly, like they're scared. Have you, altar guild people know this. Like they're afraid to go up to the altar, like to go past the rail, like, to be a special person to do that. No, I, we do set it apart, and it is, you know, it's sacred space. It's, we treat it with reverence, right? But it, it, God's not going to strike you dead if you don't belong up there. I did a recording once in a church, and the best place to record the choir was in the chancel at the front. 
And some of those people had never been past the altar rail, most of them. And I'm like, just stand behind the rail, right? And some of you stand in front of the rail. It's the best place. It's going to sound the best in the room. And they're like, I'm like, you're singing church music. You can stand it, but I can't have my back to the altar. Okay. Oh, yeah? And they were. I have Yeah. I really should let you have a service or get together and have whoever wants to come here or something. Oh, and listen to it? Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else? Okay. So there, uh, I didn't say this. There's about seven, I think there's seven things, right? There's the mountain uh, that can't be touched, the burn with fire, blackness, darkness, tempest, sound of trumpet, voice of the words, seven things, right? And the seventh being the voice of the words. So I didn't mention that. All right. So that's, we're going to contrast that then. We got this lovely word right here. This is a great word, but, but this is a, a gospel, but if you prefer which I guess is a little tacky, but I, I think it's a funny joke. Okay. That's from a friend of mine. They actually wore it to their, to higher things. It was on the back of their t-shirts. I like gospel butts and I cannot lie. So you've used that, you've used the gospel butt. That's where it came from. That's from Mark Buto. Okay. Anyway, who lo- this is a pastor friend of mine and he, he's, he, he's really into puns. Which makes him like, I mean, it's like the worst kind of dad joke, right? And he does it as a pastor. Anyway, so the kids had fun with it, though. All right, but, all right, so to contrast, you have come to Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion? Church. It could be the church. Mount Zion is, where's Mount Zion? Not Mount Sinai. Where's Mount Zion? Yeah, it's Jerusalem is Mount Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem. It was actually called before that. I think it was called Zion before David named it Jerusalem. Uh, may have been Salem, though. There's the whole bit with uh, Melchizedek. Um, Zion is the, mount, is the temple mount. And it, it's another name for Jerusalem, right? But here, what's he talking about? Not the physical Jerusalem, but as Ethan pointed out, the heavenly Jerusalem which is also the city of the living God. And he's just, he's just stacking all those things on top of each other. They're not three separate things. They're, they're all just one and the same. Different names for the same. Wherever God is and where we dwell with him eternally. Whatever that looks like. It depends if you like Einstein. I, you know, some kind of existence in the eternal existence. I mean... Do you know anybody that has apart from Jesus that actually lives in eternity outside of space and time? No. Do you know what that's like? Nope. So we have Zion, city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, um, to an innumerable company of angels. All right. Now this is interesting too. I, I noted this because um, we've talked about it. We talk about it at Christmas time every year when I go through catechesis of the, the Christmas text with the children. Um, that the way that, how do the people always respond to the, or how do the angels always, what are the first words of the angels always to the people in the New Testament? Do not be afraid, right? For you will conceive a son or whatever it is, right? Don't be afraid. Fear not, right? What the angel on the highest, right? To the shepherds. Why do they keep saying, don't be afraid? Why would you be afraid of an angel? Well, they are scary. Because in the Old 
Testament, they always brought words. Words of judgment. Judgment. But judgment's not necessarily a bad thing. Or they never seen one. Or they never seen one. Well, yeah, admittedly. Um, although you see like the angels at the resurrection, they're just described as men, usually. Yeah. So not that scary. But in the Old Testament, the angels are the ones who, who the commander of the Lord's armies, the commander of the angel armies. So if you've seen like, uh, read or seen uh, Return of the King, right, where, uh, what's his name? Aragorn commands what the, the dead. What, what are they called? The armies of the dead, right? You know, who, who are seeking vengeance, you know, that they had been unjustly killed, right? And then he commands them. Um, it's like that, these spirits, you know, that come. And of course, you have the angel that brings death to Egypt. Maybe the angel of death. Uh, angels, yeah, if you look in the Old Testament, even in the Psalms, I gave you some examples there. They do come. Um, they're basically army. They're the Lord's army, right? Uh, and they accompany the Lord at Sinai. So actually, it's recorded in Deuteronomy 33 that the angels are there upon that mountain, the mountain with fire and the trembling with smoke, and now we have angels. A little extra scary. Are you tired? Yeah. Okay. You're like, you're looking a little droopy. Um, right, so, but, so then the New Testament, it's different. So we had the angels at Sinai that were terrifying, but now we have angels here, and we're surrounded by them with the host of the, with the whole cloud of witnesses. So the angels have now take on a new role. They have a different message to say, because remember, that's what angels do. They, they preach, they sing, they teach. Right? So the angel has now a new message, which is of Christ, not of Sinai. So of course, if they come from Sinai, they're going to come with flaming swords, for example. Right? No, they're going to come and do warfare. Um, but here, now they, now they join with us in song. Right? Hark the herald angels sing. Don't you do that? Yeah. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of Sabaoth, adored. Yeah, okay. Different ways. Isn't that interesting? That's Old Testament, I know. But I like it with the New Testament tune. Yeah, that's, that's a ter Isaiah's like, woe is me, I'm undone when the angels are singing. <laughs> right? Now we sing it and we're like, hey, it's so nice. I'm like, huh. What changed? Jesus. Uh, let's see. Did I write anything there? Oh, yeah. So the angels come to celebrate God's triumph over the evil powers. So we have the angels rejoicing um, over sinners who repent. Remember that from Jesus? I didn't give you the citation on that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. How about, how about this one, Matthew 28? Right? So we have the angel. Here it is. Behold, there's great earthquake. That sounds familiar. Earthquake? Sinai. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. <laughs> There's an angel sitting on the rock. Hmm. His countenance was like lightning. Why don't we read this? On, we should read Matthew on Easter this year. This is, this is a nuts story. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. All right, it passed out. That's Old Testament angel stuff, yeah. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said, right? So do not, what did he say? Oh, do not be afraid. Huh. That's surprising. And go and quickly tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Indeed, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you, right? So the angel comes with good news. 
right? Even though he's still a little freaky looking, right? Okay. I don't know. Freaky looking is probably not the right expression. Yes, it is. It is. All right. Um, all of these come, you have come, to the, Ethan's translation was different, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. All right, so uh, maybe a little Greek today. It's all Greek to me anyway. That's funny. No, no laughing. Ha ha. Ecclesia. There we go. Ecclesia, right? You've heard of ecclesiastical or that kind of word. It just means it's another word for church, but it actually means gathering. The word for church in Greek, there, church, um, is a gathering of people. There is no church without people. How's it go? Open the door and there are the people. Okay. All right. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, that is what the word means. It's a gathering of people. So, like, we're going to do online church. I'm like, well, I guess we're kind of gathering together, but. Yeah, exactly. We're two or three are gathered. But we have two expressions put side by side here the general assembly, which is a different thing. And uh, I didn't actually look that word up. I probably should have. Because it's the uh, panagria, which is the. Oh, it's like a national gathering. So it's all the nations together, the whole nation together uh, for festivals or to honor someone. Mm-hmm. Church, well, right, we have that. But this general assembly, that word is not in all manuscripts. If you look here, I'm looking at, if I, festal gathering to the. Oh, I see. Okay, that's where it is. Festal gathering. Well, that's a good translation. Yeah, joyful assembly, that's good too. And the church, right? So it's just two or and, it's prepositions. Um, of the firstborn, key firstborn, firstborn language relates to what? Well, yes, Jesus. Inheritance, what else? This is baptism language, isn't it? Who are, um, what you say, numbered in heaven? Regist- registered in heaven? Enrolled. Ah, do you enroll for baptism? No, you enroll for the cradle roll, right? Yeah, right. Not really, you just automatically by being baptized, yeah. Uh-huh, you enroll in schools. But here you're registered in heaven. God signs you up. Your name is written in his book, right? That's more baptism language in the book of life from Revelation. All right. Um, so, oh, by the way, guess what? A list of seven things again. <laughs> yeah, so Mount Zion. City of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels, general assembly, church of the firstborn, and then here's the culmination, to God, the judge of all. Right? So that's the culmination there. Uh Which is also to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Right? So how does Jesus judge? By mediating the new covenant. All right? Now, judgment is a hard word. And, uh, you know, you could have heard that a lot today about the law. And the law is, it is meant to judge you. One, what, what happens in the divine service, what happens when you come before God as your judge, is that he straightens you out, right? That's what, that's what his word of law does. I, it also destroys, and da, 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 yeah. but he, he corrects you. We, we always, this whole thing with service, God serves us. If, if we're to serve God, then we have to straighten ourselves out, right? To make God happy with us. Um, but good luck with that. 
And I've, I've told you this before. I mean, how sh- shocked I am. And anytime somebody says to me, you know, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get things put in order again at home before I come back to church. I'm like, well, that's why you go to church is that God would put your life in order, right? So that you're oriented with faith toward God and love toward one another, for example, right? And maybe then having been forgiven, you might actually be able to forgive the people in your life that you're not forgiving now. And that's actually the problem. Just saying, well, I don't say it that way because that's kind of cruel and I'm told I, I, not to be arrogant and treat people like children, but you're my children. I can treat you like that. Yeah, God, the judge of all. Notice its first position is God, not judge, but God, right? And why is he judge of all? Because as we already heard back earlier in chapter 12, right, I think. Oh, no, it's actually what I was talking, what we were reading in the congregation of prayer. doesn't matter. God's creator. He makes all things. He gives life. He puts, puts that all into, you know, gives to everyone to live, breathe, and have their being in Jesus, right? So that's why he can judge, because he's going to put you back with Jesus. So judgment, we have this negative connotation too. I think we've talked about this before. Judgment sounds bad. But you could go to the judge, and the judge could say something like, I'm going to have mercy on you. We're going to set you free, right? We're going to, we're going to pity you. It doesn't, I mean, it happens in our, it happens in civil state too, right? Yeah, people will get more lenient sentence, or maybe they'll get put out on parole. I mean, judge, the judgment's not always like, you're, you've got life in solitary, you know? Um, so here, the judgment is to the spirits of just men made complete or perfect, but complete. I don't like perfect because it's platonic, you know, it comes from Plato, doesn't matter. Um, but made complete, finished. How are just men made, made finished? How do, yeah, in baptism, Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith, right? Back earlier in the chapter. So here you're made perfect by Jesus, Jesus, who is the mediator, which means you have the father, right? And you, and Jesus stands in between, right? He mediates between you two. So you try to pray and Jesus fixes your prayers. (laughs) Thanks be to God for that, right? The father wants to love you. But last time we met him at Sinai, it didn't go so well, right? It's like, but Jesus mediates it, right? He suffers, suffers the accusation for our sin that, that was spoken at Sinai. He gives us his righteousness, his perfect obedience uh, in between. And then this last bit, and to the blood sprinkling, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Um, don't know where he got this. Well, blood sprinkling is very... Blood sprinkling is a big deal. It's very sacrificial. It's in the liturgical. Everything got sprinkled with blood in the, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, right? All the, all the vessels, all the people, the priests. The, there's blood going everywhere all the time. It's like you have these beautiful garments and there's... Blood doesn't come out that. And animal blood kind of smells too. Well, there is significance. Nope. In the blood, they were Correct. Yeah. Um, I think there's something to that where you um, there would be like, say, you had the breastplate with all the 12 stones. Like if it weren't distorted in a sense by all the blood, you'd be like, 
that's like that's to be worshipped right that object rather than actually see it as a mediation yeah and the blood kind of reminds you always this is a messy mixed up affair and don't forget the promise right this is always supposed to be pointing towards the promise um, now abel's blood cries out for vengeance as we sing in the hymn abel's blood for vengeance for the sentence cries right glory be to jesus is the hymn Whew, i remember this time um but i mean you still have to kind of stretch it a little bit because that's not i mean the hymn says it but we, um, genesis 4 does have abel's blood crying out for vengeance so that's not a very nice thing to hear, right? God's saying Abel's blood's crying out for vengeance. That'd be more Sinai language. This instead is the blood of Jesus, the mediator, that sp speaks of better things. Now blood uh, in sprinkling, sprinkling usually attached to water, but sprinkled in Jesus' blood is more baptism language, right? So remember, I mean, the preacher teacher here is not always gonna explicitly say, and by the way, I'm talking about baptism. Or, and by the way, I'm talking about the Lord's Supper because we have blood and covenant there, blood and testament. Like, this is like, oh, some people are going to hear it and be like, oh, he's talking about my baptism. Other people are going to hear it and say, oh, he's going to talk about the sacrament we're about to receive, right? Where Jesus makes this new, the new covenant, the new testament in, in his blood and he gives it to me to drink. It's not really sprinkled into my mouth. That's more baptism language. But So it, it's there, it's in the background, but it's not like one-to-one, -one, telling you what to think. I like to do it that way too. I don't even tell you where things come from. I just quote them. Like, maybe you recognize it, maybe you don't, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm just there to preach God's word. Not to give you a, a laundry list of like, here's all the citations. You know? um, oh, I'm on the back of the sheet already. Look at that. I did say it points to the Lord's Supper. Um, through the blood of Jesus... So we could back this up. We could go backwards now. Through the blood of Jesus, right? Now work your way back through all the things. There's access to the heavenly city. There's forgiveness. There's an inheritance. There's unity with the angels and the whole church and the saints who have gone before. All right? And then I talk about the sprinkling with the liturgical rites and day of atonement and et cetera. All right. So good so far? So you see how the two things are not at all the same. Sinai and the divine service of Christ's blood in the church. Not the same thing. One, one supersedes the other. Sinai has its purpose, right? But it's the lead to this, to the blood of Jesus atoning for sins. Okay. Heavenly voice. We had the voice back here, right? We had the voice of words that they didn't want to listen to. And now we have the voice of Jesus, right? Who speaks, there it is, speaks better things, speaks gospel. All right, and so let's talk more about speaking. Oh, this is really a clever expression right here. How far did I say we're going to go through 29? Okay, let's read it. Somebody, anybody. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth. I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's all right. That's fine. Now let's see it once more. And he gives the removal of those things that are being shaken, and <laughs> some things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken. 
All right. Um, I did. I did throw in a little bit in the sermon towards this last expression about he shakes heaven and earth. Right. You, I don't know if you heard that. Now, you, now you would know where it came from. <laughs> I was quoting this text. Um, it's another way of talking very similar to the. I put it in the context of you know a refining fire, right? That separates the dross from the from the precious metal, um, or you know the the wheat from the chaff with the sifting. There's different ways to talk about it. So, you know, think about uh, Jesus when he talks about, it's a parable, right? With the, the house on the sand, the house on the rock, right? And if you shake the house on the sand, what's going to happen? Well, actually, he uses, he talks about water comes, right? But, but you get the idea. If you don't have a strong foundation, what happens when the shaking comes? Right? It just collapses. Or if the mortar's not good or any of that sort of thing. Right? So he's talking about, the, he's using that same expression here. He's going to shake things up. And what's going to be left? Only those things that cannot be shaken, right? That will stand firm. I don't, do you ever feel like this is what's happening to your life? Like he's turning everything upside down just to see what's left after it's all said and done? I mean, there's been times in my life where it seems like, you know, he's just taking everything away. And then you realize, oh, well, but I still have Christ Jesus for my Forgiveness, life, salvation, right? That can't be shaken. That can't be taken from me. My baptism isn't, he, nobody can undo the baptism. I mean, even if I reject it, I'm still baptized. It just doesn't save me, but it's still there and it's not going to go away. It's just like I mentioned the prodigal before. It's just like the, the sonship of the prodigal son. He's still the son, even when he doesn't want to be. <laughs> That's how the father addresses him. So it's the same idea here. And he's quoting uh, from, what is it, Haggai, right? Maybe that's a book we haven't read. That'd be a fun book to read. It's not very long. Haggai 2. We should probably look at, look at the actual text. So let me get my cursor in the right spot. Haggai 2. Oh, and by the way, it's a house. Huh. Yeah. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word, not to be too specific, <laughs> the Lord came to, by Haggai, or the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I was going to tell you who these people are, but actually Haggai tells you. So, so now you know who these are. And to the remnant of the people. All right, so who's left, who's not been sent off into exile. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, it is not in your eyes as, is it not in your eyes as nothing? All right, so this is the people mourning over how the rebuilt temple just doesn't really compare to the original. The second temple, I mean, uh, Herod does add a bunch onto it by the time of Jesus. He kind of renovates it a little bit, but the rebuilt temple doesn't compare to Solomon, Solomon's temple. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Despite the inadequacy of the temple, I'm still with you. Got it? All right. According to the word that I covenanted with you when, I came, when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Right? So according to the word that I covenanted. In other words, I promised. Right? You're looking at all the wrong things. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and it is a little while, I will shake, oh, there it is, 
Shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Oh, come, oh, come, amen. It's one of the standards. Oh, desire of nations, come and make, take our ransom home or something. How's it go? From O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There's a stanza that quotes this. Okay, all right. And I will fill this temple with glory. There's the fire, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. You mean Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Um, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So basically what Herod tried to do, he's trying to play the imposter. Maybe he knew this prophecy, maybe not. But the point is, is that he's trying to, to turn the temple back into like Solomon's, but he's, he's a fraud. I mean, he's not even a Jew, by the way, Herod. He's not even a Jew. He's just faking it, right? Yeah, he's a scammer. He's a grifter. I mean, there's all sorts of words for this. Um, and then I did say to look forward a little bit. There's another one here. Dun, 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 dun. There's the promised blessing. This would be a fun book to read. All right. And there it is again. Again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, not to be too specific, saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so there you go. And that's the end of the book. So a little bit of prophecy, like, you know, I don't know, Haggai. How does uh, the preacher teacher here does enough that he's like, oh yeah, Haggai, like in Haggai. Well, I mean, if he's writing to Jews, these are people who know their scriptures. That's the whole point. They know it. All right. Oh, I didn't get quite back to where we were, did I? Um, let's see. Oh, verse 25, though, we should talk about this. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. So you have two senses going to speaking, hearing, right? But seeing. Now, we've talked about this before. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Um, and faith is not seen. Faith that is seen is not, or hope that is not is seen is not hope, right? You hope in things that you don't see. But we have talked about how you see, not with your eyes, but with your ears, so maybe in your mind's eye, I guess is what we'd say, right? You see with your mind's eye, that's the expression. And that's what he's doing here. He's kind of playing with that a little bit. Um, so there's no, so escape, right? For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Okay, so this idea that we can, I, I think people think this is like, some people think that they're Christians just to hedge their bets, which is fine because I can work with that. You show up in church, you hear God's word, right? Um, others are like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just kind of slip through the cracks and nobody, God won't notice that I kind of slacked off. And, I... and what's, what's the preacher teacher saying? Nobody's escaping God's notice on this one, right? Him in heaven. You, didn't even, you couldn't even escape the notice of, say, Caesar, right? If he wanted to tax you, he's going to find you. <laughs> God's going to hunt you down. Is it, who's that? That's Johnny Cash again. <laughs> Well, like that was that was a, he did a whole series of albums, I think six, right before he died, that are all just like um, they're spirituals and they're it's all American Americana music. 
So that's one of them. God's going to hunt you down. <laughs> you know, the African slaves, they knew how to sing. You know, fear the judgment of God, not the judgment of, of man. All right. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, where did I skip? Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, right? So we notice we're going from Sinai back to promise. Sinai didn't have the promise. Now we move to the promise saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven, which is a sign of judgment. So the judgment day is actually not like in Terminator, you know, where humanity is being destroyed by robots. The judgment day is the day when God, you know, shakes everything out. Like your pockets. Yeah, we from chaff, sheep from goats, all that kind of stuff, right? Shake it out. Oh, that's... Shake it off, shake it off. Oh, what's that song? That's Taylor Swift. Sorry. I'm trying to be hip for the kids, but I don't know. Now I got it in my head. Uh, let's see. Anything else on that that's interesting? Yeah. So if they, if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth? That's talking about Moses, Right? They couldn't get away from the voice of God spoken through Moses. How much more shall we not escape when God himself speaks from heaven? Yeah. And again, that's, I mean, I guess that could be terrifying if you don't want to listen. Um, but think back to the trumpet and think back, you know, God made all things with a voice from heaven, right? There wasn't a negative thing when he created the heavens and the earth and everything therein. Right? Um, but he's going to shake out all the stuff that doesn't belong. You know, every weight, every that clings to us, that holds us down. In other words, our sin. So you could think of sin that way. I, I, using this picture from Haggai, quoted by uh, the preacher teacher, is like, you know, absolution or repentance is this. You know, God comes up to you, kind of shakes it all off. And like all the dust and all the garbage and, you know, I could do it with him. All shook up. Yeah, there you go. Well, that, yeah, when, I mean, that's the, the way we use that expression usually is it like makes us uncomfortable, right? We're all kind of dis, discombobulated or whatever, right? But here, God, it's a positive thing. He's going to shake, shake out everything that doesn't belong, you know, every weight of sin that clings to us closely, to quote earlier. All right, so then two more verses. Therefore, since we are receiving, that's gift language, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, all right? So Christ's kingdom, not going to be shaken, it stands forever. Let us have grace, which is an interesting expression, for by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I always like that kind of dig at the end. It's like, oh, by the way, you remember, God is a consuming fire. So don't think you can self-appoint your own kind of righteousness to use the sermon today. Right? Rather, we serve God uh, with reverence and godly fear in his word and his name. But I did write about this, let us have all grace. Um, to have grace is to hold fast to the inheritance, uh, forgiveness, etc., that Jesus has spoken about, all the gifts that he has given before, right? So the only way to serve without fear is in dependence on Jesus for everything. That's what it means. Isn't this Christmas? We have a Christmas hymn that uses this too. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay, now I wanted to do one more thing with this. I can't put it up on the screen, but I'll just, I'll use, I'll use actually, I know this is going to be crazy. I'm going to use a book that has words in it. 
don't know. A, I, I could put it up on the screen, but I'm going to use the printed copy here because uh, I can get there a lot quicker and we don't have to worry about the technology and then we can just be done. Um, basically, what, what the preacher teacher has been doing here, I said I could get there quickly, is he's been um, confessing law and gospel, right? So you've heard that. That's a... Uh, you can thank CFW Walther, the founder of the Missouri Synod, for this, the distinction between law and gospel. We heard some of it in the sermon today, right? But he did it here. Sinai, law, but Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, gospel, right? And he's talking about the divine service, which is God serving you is not by way of Sinai. It's not demands, obligation, terror, and fear. God comes to serve you in righteous, with his righteousness for love, peace, hope, patience, kindness, all that. Um. So, uh, actually, Philip Melanchthon, in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, which is the defense of the Augsburg Confession, uh, he, uh, I gave you some of the paragraphs here, talks about Christian worship in the language of Hebrews. So, for example, listen to this in relation to the sermon today. Paragraph 49. The difference between this faith, the faith in Christ, and the righteousness of the law can be easily discerned. Faith is the divine service, Latria, that receives the benefits offered by God. Faith is the divine service that receives, see that language? Receives, receives a kingdom. Receives the benefits offered by God. The righteousness of the law, so Sinai, is the divine service that offers to God our merits. But how does that go? We don't even want to go on the mountain lest we die. Because he commands it. Well, I mean, think about, think about uh, the tabernacle. It's commanded, right? We offer to God in the tabernacle, right? uh, but it never works. So it's meant to shut you up to all this self-appointed righteousness talk, right? Don't self, you don't need to self-justify. God wants to be worshipped through faith so that we receive from him those things that he promises and offers. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, therefore, the fathers, think it like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also were justified, made right, not by the law, but by the promise and faith. It's amazing that the adversaries, medieval Roman church, diminish faith to such a degree, even though they see that it is everywhere praised as a great service. For example, Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. Not you will deliver yourself, but I will deliver you. God wants himself to be known. He wants himself to be worshipped so that we receive, that's the purpose, that we receive benefits from him and receive them because of his mercy, not because of our merits. Not because we deserve them. I mean, which is, I mean, that's a wonderfully freeing word, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's not about you. It's about God for you. This is the richest consolation in all afflictions. Right? This is especially comforting to those people who can't really give anything because they're bedridden, um, or they're on deathbed, you know, because um, they're like, what can I do? And it's like, you don't need to do anything. I'm here to give, right? We're here to give. The adversaries ban such consolation when they diminish and disparage faith and teach only that by means of works and merits, people interact with God. So there's some expressions of that. Uh, I, I can't read you all of Article 4 because we'd be here all afternoon, but because um, I wouldn't stop. I keep stopping and Saying, okay, next. Oh, shoot. I got the wrong paragraph marks. Yeah, I got the wrong paragraph marks. So I can't read you anymore. But you get the idea, right? So law gospel talk. That's what we're talking about here. 
So rather than, than you offer yourself to God, and that's the way of Sinai, don't forget Sinai, let's not do this. Right? The law is good and wise, but it show, to show us our sin that we run to Christ for forgiveness. Right? And it does guide us and instruct us, of course. Right? But that always, in the guiding and instructing, it's always accusing, as we say. All right? And so then, oh, I love this heading, concluding moral directions. Paul, <laughs> ah, it's okay. No, it's good. You can't really go to this until you've done all the groundwork and say, no, Jesus saves you. And then we can say, okay, yeah, now let Jesus straighten out your life. But first you have to set up the fact that Jesus is actually saving you, saving you, straightening you up. So we'll get to that next time. All right. Any questions? Yeah. Like I said, uh, you can look up all the citations. I probably wrote some things that I didn't say. So you can get that off the sheet. Yeah. Saying, let us, yeah, let us. When I was a kid in school, I remember that teacher, we were practicing our Christmas pieces of standing up in the building, and my face was let us go to the Like I say, let us go to Bethlehem. And he kept stopping me and he said, Let us, yeah. And when I kept doing it, I was like, I was probably there. Yeah, spring greens or, you know, spinach or. Iceberg. That's how I, yeah. It's called a hortatory. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not the green stuff you eat. Yes. All right, good. Let's close with prayer then. Heavenly Father, you have given to us in your son Jesus access to you by way of uh, the holy city of Mount Zion of the tabernacle of the divine service where Christ comes and serves us uh, and gives us all of the gifts that he purchased and won for us through his suffering and death and resurrection. Uh, we ask that you would continue to gather us uh, in divine service to receive these gifts, that we'd uh, be able to run the race uh, with perseverance uh, until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.